passage, it's written on the page that was on your seat when you came in. We'll read it together. We will give our attention to three particular things. The first, wisdom pursues you. The second, wisdom gets her way. And the third, wisdom starts with Jesus. This is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1 through 7, and then 20 through the sixth verse of chapter 2. These are the Proverbs of Solomon. He was David's son, the king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young, Even let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance. By exploring the meaning in these Proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, true wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Then we uh, skip down to verse 20. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On the top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery? And fools hate knowledge. Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I'll make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and don't accept my rebuke, I will turn and will laugh when disaster strikes you, and I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then they'll call out to me, but I won't answer. They'll look to me but will not find me since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke. They will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes, for the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. So my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commands with you, if you make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it out like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. And from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Well, my best friends back in college were uh, all into whitewater kayaking, and I wasn't. Uh, I had kayaked before. I was like, we always did a bunch of outdoorsy stuff together. That was kind of like our niche, the later years of college for me, camping and backpacking and stuff and mountain biking. But they really got into whitewater kayaking, and they were good at it. And I wasn't. And so... um, they would always invite me on trips, and I'd be like, well, I don't want to die, so no, I don't want to go with you. And, but eventually, the peer pressure got to the point where I had to learn. And so we went up to uh, the Ramsey Pool. They, used, they did like these monthly uh, whitewater kayaking lessons in the pool. 
back there. And so you'd get into these uh, tiny little whitewater boats. And uh, if you have ever whitewater kayaked, you know they have what's called a skirt on them. And the skirt is this neoprene kind of sleeve that you put on you, and it connects you to the boat so that if the boat flips over under a rapid or a waterfall, you don't slide out of it, the boat doesn't fill with water and sink, and then you're in the middle of a river with no way to get out of it. So that the, the skirt attaches you to the boat. Now, because you're attached to the boat, one of the hardest things about whitewater kayaking is learning how to roll yourself back up when you flipped over. So here's the boat, and you're sitting here just paddling along, and then because of the rapids of the waterfalls from time to time, you'll flip upside down, and your whole torso and head will be underwater while your boat is up on top of the river. And there's a technique called a roll that I find impossible. Most people don't, but it's like an SAT question. It's like, while you're upright and sitting here, we're going to teach you when you're turned upside down in a near-death experience how to do this complicated technique to flip yourself back up and get out of the rapid. Well, we tried to go to those lessons, and I couldn't learn it. I mean, it was getting embarrassing, and so we went to plan B, which is a simpler technique called a bow rescue. And that's simply, if you flip over and you can't get yourself back up, uh, one of your buddies just rams the side of your boat with his or her boat, with the bow of their boat, and you find the tip of that boat and you just, you kind of like reach up from underneath the water and just push up and use that as a fulcrum to get yourself back to oxygen and other good things like that. And so uh, I was able to master that. And so naive 22-year-old version of me and peer pressure version of me said, let's go. So the next time they went, a few weeks later, we went up to the Green River in North Carolina, which is a pretty tame river, at least the section that we were doing, except for the end of it. So uh, the beginning was just class two or three, and I was getting more and more confident, like, look at me. I haven't even flipped over. This is great. And uh, then we get to the end of the river, the last probably hour of the trip, and all the guys pulled, uh, we paddled over the side, and they got out, and they're like, we need to scout this last rapid. I was like, why do we need to scout the last rapid? Well, it's about a 15-foot waterfall that drops into a churning hydraulic beneath it that's pulling back into the waterfall. It's like, let's scout this rapid. Why don't I take video of y'all going over this while you all do it? So they get out, they scout it, and guy after guy lands it perfectly, and everyone's excited, and then it comes me. And I don't even know, like, what part of this am I supposed to, like, aim my boat in? I don't know what I'm doing. Let's just, like, pray and Jesus take the wheel. And so we did that. And it worked. I landed the rapid successfully. And the guys are just like going crazy, hyping me up and everything. And then as I start to paddle out from underneath the waterfall, I notice I'm not moving. In fact, I'm going backwards. So the hydraulic underneath the waterfall that was kind of reverse pulling all the water back into itself like a washing machine was pulling my boat back under. And then the water from the top knocked me off balance and I flipped under. And I was, again, attached to my boat with the skirt. And for all the uh, failed lessons at Ramsey that I did, none of that was in my mind. I was just frantically trying to get my head above water to get a breath of air. And my buddy Robert paddled right over to me and rammed the boat with his bow. And something clicked. And I just reached for that thing. And it was the ugliest bow rescue in the history of kayaking. I almost pulled Robert out of his boat and under with me. But by God's mercy, I was able to get myself out of that situation. Now, I've been thinking about Proverbs for a while now. I'm so excited for this series. 
And it's been on my mind the past month or so uh, in conversations with y'all. You're not navigating rapids and rivers. You're navigating sticky dating situations that don't seem to have a clear option. You're wondering how to confront dad about his drinking, and it's never gone well when you've done that before. And so you wonder how to do that. You're wondering how to tell a roommate it's probably not a good idea if we live together again next year. I know you thought I was going to sign the lease with you. You're in those kind of situations. And, the, and, and life is a lot like that river. There's a current to life, right? It's pulling you towards these circumstances and confusions and situations that you don't feel prepared for, right? And you can't just say, wait, pause the river while I kind of get out and figure this out. It pulls you into these moments. And it demands a response. And in those moments, at best, there might be a little knowledge somewhere in the back of your head. You've read a book about dating. Or you've talked to your mom or your dad or an intern or a roommate who's wise about uh, conflict or the situation you're working through. And there's a little bit of knowledge there. But right when you're in that moment getting churned up, chewed up, and spit out by it, we're just flailing. And even if we get through it successfully, it feels like we got through by the skin of our teeth and we couldn't replicate it again. That's at best. At worst, we feel like we're just sinking. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get through this. The knowledge that I had in that particular moment evaporated and just, I flailed and I freaked out. And then I got into my early and mid and late 20s and early and mid and late 30s and I realized, wow, my life is a lot like that experience underneath the waterfall. These big, churning, powerful moments pull me in, and I feel like it was a pop quiz that demands an answer that I don't have. Do you ever feel that way with your life, with the situations you're facing right now, with wisdom? It's a common thing to feel. The difference in knowledge and wisdom is an important distinction to make on the front end here, because we can think about wisdom as if some like book of sayings that we need to memorize. When I was a freshman on my wall in Russell, I had a little cork board with all these like little quotes. And I wasn't like a big reader then, but I had all these like little quotes from like Ben Franklin or Socrates, or, and I'm not like a philosopher kind of guy. But I had all these quotes there, and every now and then I try to memorize them because I thought that would make me wise. I wanted to grow, I wanted to be wise. Do you think that memorizing knowledge will make you wise? Reading enough books from the book table will make you wise. Meeting up with a pastor, a mentor, a friend, a professor, a parent enough times will make you wise. Certainly all those things contribute, help wisdom. We're not against those things. But they're not the source of wisdom. What Robert and Heath and Josh and my buddies had on the river was wisdom. They respected the power of the water. They could navigate that river and its rapids with their eyes closed. They knew the feel of it. They knew just from a quick glance which side of the rapid to enter into so that it didn't get thrown off course going through the rapid. They knew, they knew what to be prepared for and more or less how to get out of it if they got into that sticky situation. That's wisdom. Knowledge is what I had, and it evaporates quickly. You can cram knowledge into your head and spit it back out. We're experts in that, right? You can't cram wisdom into your head and spit it back out. Wisdom is formed in a human being over a lifetime. There's no express lane, just a shoulder of the road that you can slowly drive down 
as you learn and as you're trained by it. Here's another thing I learned. Uh, you know, the distinction between knowledge and wisdom is an important one to see at the front end. The Bible, when it's talking about wisdom, is something different than knowledge. The other is this. When I became a Christian, um, I, there was kind of a honeymoon stage. I felt like, um, this is awesome. Some of my main, like, most powerful temptations and sin struggles seemed to move to the back burner, and I just didn't even want to do them. I wanted to read my Bible. I wanted to be around Christians and at church. I was reading everything I could get my hands on. Every YouTube video that Tim Keller or John Piper or someone put out, I was watching. And then life happened, and I kept hitting these rapids, roommate situations, terror about how to date when I'd never dated before, uh, catching a classmate in grad school cheating and plagiarizing and wondering what in the world am I supposed to do that's not going to ruin his life, but also isn't going to ruin the integrity of the program. That happened, and I realized you can be a very godly person and a clueless person at the same time. You can be a very self-disciplined, spiritually disciplined person and make horrible relationship decisions. You can have correct theology about the purpose of marriage and make a disastrous decision about who and when to get married to. Godliness, knowledge, good intentions, pure motives do not compensate for a lack of wisdom. Ray Ortland is a guy I'll be speaking of a lot this, the rest of this spring because he's helped me so much with this stuff. But he said uh, this. Read it with me. He says, If you have love but not wisdom, we will harm people with the best of intentions. You have courage but not wisdom, we'll blunder boldly. You have truth but not wisdom, we'll make the gospel ugly to other people. If we have technology but not wisdom, we'll use the best communications ever invented to broadcast stupidity. If we have revival but not wisdom, we'll use the power of God to throw the church into reverse gear. Wisdom is essential. Pursue it like it's silver or treasure, the writer of Proverbs says. Wisdom is critical. Wisdom is like I said, something that's formed over a lifetime. If knowledge is piano lessons, wisdom is improv jazz music, a bunch of expert musicians just jamming together. If knowledge is simple arithmetic, wisdom is number theory. If knowledge is grammar, wisdom is poetry. It takes time. It is very labor intensive even as it comes to us by the grace of God. It requires participation. It requires your full attention. It requires work. It requires dependence. It requires God's grace. Wisdom is the art of living well. It's the art of skillfully navigating the unscripted twists and turns of ordinary life. Ordinary life. The Hebrew word for proverb literally translates to representative, or to represent. Uh, Proverbs, which especially in a few weeks we'll get into the little short little sayings, the little one-sentence quips, are really little sound bites of what the real world is really like. They're little models for reality. 
to help you look at a little model, like a diorama or something, and say, oh, this is what the real world is like. This is what it was made, how it was made to operate. This is how it operates in this moment of brokenness. They're little models of reality, little sound bites of the way the world really is and how to navigate it. And in a sense, it's like virtual reality. Proverbs says, hey, do you want to grow and be wise? Come here and kind of look through these goggles and you can experience these moments in ordinary life in this kind of setting so that when you encounter them in your life, you can navigate these moments. Because over time, over the years, they've shaped you into someone who thinks like God, who knows this world inside and out and knows you inside and out and is an expert in living well. So if you want to grow in wisdom, let's get after it. The first lesson on the stop of growing in wisdom and pursuing wisdom is realizing that wisdom really isn't something that you pursue. Wisdom is someone that pursues you. And this is what we see in, in the, the paper in front of you in Proverbs chapter 1. Wisdom is personified as this lady that shall keep popping up in the next couple of weeks. But Lady Wisdom pursues, calls aloud, raises her voice. She's for you. And we don't, uh, I, I don't have to say, well, some of you are Christians and some of you aren't. And some of you came here with a friend and whatever, whatever. It doesn't matter. The you is every human being in this room. Lady Wisdom, Wisdom, God, His wisdom is for you. It is, at this moment, pursuing you. You're being pursued by wisdom. This lady has won Teacher of the Year every year. Her Rate My Professor scores are through the roof. Everybody says, get this one. I'm different because of her. Her ability to meet you wherever you are and advance the literacy of your living is unmatched. That's wisdom that Proverbs is talking about. <clears throat> and so growing in wisdom is not a pursuit of some like kind of mystical, monastic experience where you go climb Mount Everest and at the top wisdom's waiting for you and you write all these cool little Proverbs for people to read. Wisdom is pursuing you. And so the art of growing in wisdom, the practice of growing in wisdom looks a lot more like ordinary listening and learning to pay attention to what's already around you rather than trying to find something that you've never experienced before. Growing in wisdom begins with a giving up of running and a tuning in. You heard it at the end of the chapter, didn't you? Yeah, at the beginning of chapter two. She says, my son, if you receive my words, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your ear or lean in and cup your ear to hear understanding. If you call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding, God will give it to you. Wisdom pursues you. Now, who's the you that wisdom is pursuing? I said it was everybody, but this chapter breaks it down specifically. I find this very encouraging more than I do discouraging. Who is the you that wisdom is pursuing? The Bible, uh, don't be insulted, it does not have illusions about who you and I are. It doesn't idealize you. It approaches us as we are. And if you let it approach you that way, it'll be very encouraging and helpful to you. Who is the you that wisdom pursues? 
The first, I think around verse 2 and verse 3, the simple, or sorry, it's in verse 4. The pro- these Proverbs will give insight to the simple. In other words, the simple-minded, people who are prone to be simplistic, people who, though they have not experienced very much, think they have an understanding of things. This is me, is me in a lot of areas. This is people who speak confidently about things they've never really researched. People who shoot down ideas or conversation topics because they thought about it for about 30 seconds, but they really don't have any understanding about it. The simple-minded, the simplistic, people who tend to see things a lot simpler than they actually are in the real world, people who don't appreciate complexity. Who are the simple? They're the young and inexperienced. That's the other thing he says here. It's not just for the simple, but these Proverbs will give knowledge and discernment to the young in verse 4. Have you ever felt like, I don't know how to date because I've never dated before? Proverbs is for you. Have you ever felt like, I don't know how to break up because I've never broken up before or done it in a healthy or wise way that's preserved some semblance of a relationship? Listen to Proverbs. It can help you. Life is unfamiliar. These circumstances, they come at us and we haven't lived them before and so we don't know what to do and the writer of Proverbs, King Solomon, says to you, are you inexperienced? Then come on, there's a seat at the table with a name card for the naive and inexperienced. Those who don't know what they don't know, but would love to learn. So for the simple, the simplistic, the simple-minded, the inexperienced, the naive, the amateur, the green thumb, who else is it for? The straight-up foolish. People who are so thick-skulled and hard-hearted and hard-headed and unteachable and arrogant uh, that they don't learn lessons very well because they don't think they need to learn lessons because they think they're wise. You know anyone like that or is that you? (laughs) Someone who thinks they're really, really wise but all their friends realize they don't have a clue. That's the fool. They have a black belt in making bad situations worse while thinking they're making them better. And Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, King Solomon, says, this can make fools wise. That's a pretty, pretty big claim. The young, the inexperienced, the naive, the simplistic, the simple-minded, the foolish, the foolhardy. God is willing to meet you in that foolishness, inexperience, naivete, simple-mindedness, and begin there. He's willing to have the first lesson start wherever you happen to be tonight. So if you're willing to agree with wisdom's diagnosis of where you are and what you're like, you have great hope. Wisdom is willing to work with you. Also, wisdom pursues you on your home turf. Wisdom, God's wisdom, pursues you on your home turf. It's not, again, this experience where, you know, we're going to take a trip one day and go to this place uh, and experience this thing in this faraway land. Wisdom meets you where you are. We say it all the time in RUF because it's deeply biblical that God is a God who meets you where you are. Where else does he have to meet you? And he's a God who will not leave you stuck there. If you yield yourself to him, if you listen to him, if you follow him, if you pay attention to him, You will not remain stuck. He will grow you. He will meet you. He will reform you. Wisdom meets you on your own home turf, which means this, and I'm not being figurative. Where is wisdom pursuing you? At the MLC, 
during class change. Freshman next year, you'll experience what that's like. <laughs> it's busy. Wisdom meets you on Tate Bridge right before a big game. Wisdom is crying out, raising her voice to get your attention at 2 a.m. at last call downtown or 11 p.m. Where is wisdom? Wisdom's on millage in your sorority house, always calling out. Wisdom's in your living room with your roommates, always speaking, crying out, always pursuing you wherever you are at any given moment. Its agility is unmatched. That's good news too, friends, because a lot of us get sideways. We hear good news of the gospel. You hear things taught, maybe here at church, and you're like, this sounds so great. The problem is, I'm way over there. And how do I get from way over there where I am to this good stuff this guy's talking about? You don't have to get from way over there to right here. God's willing to go way over there and start. Meet you where you are. Meet you where you are. What does it mean that wisdom pursues you where you are? It means that wisdom is this wisdom, this wisdom. Biblical wisdom is immensely practical. It's immensely realistic and custom-fitted to this world, its brokenness, its intentions, that there's an intended order to this world, a fabric to reality that can't be denied, and and a tearing in reality that has to be respected. This wisdom speaks to those realities. This wisdom gives savvy and craft and cleverness and agility in ordinary real life. Here's just a few examples, Proverbs 27. You morning person extroverts, be warned. The writer of Proverbs will tell you your friends don't think your energy early in the morning is that cute. They'll resent you for it. Says uh, a, a word spoken early in the morning will be heard as a curse. How practical is Proverbs? How practical is God willing to get with you? How in the trenches of ordinary life does His wisdom come and find you. Proverbs 25, 17 says, for those of you who tend to miss social cues and you're hanging out in your friend's living room and you've missed 10 great opportunities to go home and let them go to sleep, it's saying you would be wise to learn when to call it a night because they will not invite you back over if it keeps happening. Isn't that helpful? Isn't that practical? Doesn't that just reflect a God who gets what life in this world, in our shoes, in our houses is like? You bet. Other Proverbs say, you think you want to overlook your boyfriend or your girlfriend's negativity and constant complaining? You think marriage is going to make that better? You think because they're so good looking and smart, you'll be over to overlook that? And it says, hold up. It'll be better for you to live on the itty-bitty little corner edge of your roof than to live with that person. You should take the negativity and the complaining seriously. Practical. Not all intuitive stuff that we would naturally get on our own. And it's from the Lord. So if wisdom pursues us, why do we seem so foolish, simple, confused, inexperienced, naive, simplistic? How do we get to a place of thinking, you know, I've kind of got this. I'm kind of crushing it these days with my big life decisions. If that's the case... Um, what's the breakdown if we're having a hard time with all of this stuff? I just listed a few, and these could all be individual messages on their own, so I apologize. We're just going to drop these and go. But the first is 
the cultural noise around us, it is not by accident that the places wisdom has come calling are all public, busy, hurried, populated places. It says here in verse 22, out in the open, in the public square, on top of the walls, at the city gates. This isn't wisdom whispers to you right before you fall asleep. Wisdom meets with you with your journal and your Bible open at 6.30 in the morning when you wake up to read it. It's saying wisdom is calling to you in the normal, busied, hurried spaces of your life. So why do we so often miss her voice? Because there's so many other voices in those spaces clamoring for your attention. You don't need me to start doing a litany, but just to name a few. Whatever academic pursuits and dreams you and I are after, whatever the next kind of like lineup of TikToks or whatever you're putting on Instagram or whatever else, it's always there. It's always coming back. The notification's always popping up. So-and-so just posted this. So-and-so hasn't posted in a while, but they just did. There's a clamor of noisy voices. Wisdom is raising her voice. Did you catch that in the passage? Wisdom is raising her voices. Ben. Hey, Ben. Ben! She's raising her voice because Ben is having a hard time hearing her voice. The cultural noise, too. Not just kind of the technology noise and the whatever pursuits were in noise, but expressive individualism has kind of been the name that's attached to the cultural moment that we're all living in. And it's a problem when everything has been reduced from morality or ethics to just personal opinion. You might have a moral opinion about what's right and wrong, but people these days are prone to say, well, that's just your opinion. It's not my opinion. You can't bind me by your ethical views or your moral views or your views about sexuality or gender or vocation or any of these other things. That's you, and we'll do us. We are individual we live in a place where individual is king, individual is queen, and nobody dare cross us because I decide what is true and false, right and wrong. I decide what things in creation are for, how they're to be used, where they're supposed to lead. Everything's been reduced to individual opinions, and so there's a clamor not just of distracting voices, there's a clamor of interpretive voices saying, that's not wisdom, this is wisdom. You do you. Follow your own path. We call a lot of this stuff kind of open-mindedness. I love the G.K. Chesterton quote. He was writing 100 years ago, and he said this over in England uh, in a whole other time, generation, and place. He said, an open mind is really a mark of foolishness, just like an open mouth. Mouths and minds were made to be shut. They were made to open only in order to shut. The object of opening the mind as of opening the mouth is to shut it again on something solid. Chesterton is saying an open mind is a great and powerful and appropriate and wise thing if it shuts again, if it takes in nourishment and closes it so that the nourishment can be ingested and go down. But a permanently open mind is a mind that a brain falls out of. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Claiming to be open-minded, they lost the capacity to discern, to navigate life as they did away with all distinctions. Why do we miss wisdom's voice? Because of a deep-hearted assumption that we're already wise. 
We're not buying what she's selling because we kind of feel like we're kind of okay anyway. It's not a felt need that we have. She says in verse 22, I believe, How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery? Fools hate knowledge. Further down in verse 24 through 30, she just keeps coming back and saying, Why do you ignore? Why do you not pay attention? Why do you disregard? Why do you not accept my rebuke? There's a dark appeal to going your own way, right? I feel it. You feel it. There's a distaste for listening to mom and dad and entertaining the possibility maybe they have been through this before and maybe they're right, even though I don't like their tone, even though I don't like how they said it. Maybe you just have an aversion to that kind of stuff. That roommate that loves you and knows you, but you've started hanging out with other friends and she comes back to you and calls you out, you don't like to listen to that, right? There's something that we love about our simplicity and our simple ways that wisdom has to call us out. I'm going to be quick here, but wisdom, love, wisdom always gets her way. In verse 24 through 30, you might have been wondering, dang, this sounds harsh. How is this in the Bible? How is God gracious? And here in his word in Proverbs 1, it's saying things like, uh, if you don't listen to me in the day of your calamity, I'll laugh. You'll cry out for me and I won't answer. What is up with that? What's going on here and what we'll see the rest of the spring in Proverbs is that there is an order to this creation because there's one who made it. He designed it to operate a certain way. Everything he made has a purpose, an intention, a goal. And you can redefine those intentions and goals all you want, but it doesn't mean that they changed. You can believe whatever you want about biology. It does not change the biological realm. Reality does not very much care what our opinion of it is, right? And it hurts, therefore, when we violate it. We can define it, relabel it all we want. You cannot deny it. There is an order, a fabric, a flow, a grit, and a grain to the way God made his world. And wisdom is learning how to flow with it, how to respect it, how to move with it. So you say, well, Ben, doesn't God's grace eliminate the consequences for our foolish decisions? And in a way, yes, but of all people to write the book of Proverbs, verse 1, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Solomon's life was radically different because of his dad's foolishness and sin, was it not? Did God treat his father David as his sins deserved for having a man murdered and taking his wife for himself? Uh, no, God did not treat David as his sins deserved. He forgave him because God is rich in mercy. Did God remove the consequences of what David did? No. They remained with David the rest of his days and his son. God will meet you in your foolishness and he'll lift you up and he'll walk with you forward and he'll encourage you and help you and illuminate the way forward. But it does not mean, there is a price though for denying wisdom, for closing your ears, for going your own way. And you can't pray those consequences away and you can't wish them away. They remain. Even as God is faithful to you inside of those difficult consequences or disciplines. The last place I want to end tonight and get us ready for next week is simply Jesus. The passage says twice, the beginning of wisdom or the starting point, square one of growing in wisdom, becoming wise is Jesus, who is the wisdom of God. Proverbs is gospel literature. 
Proverbs is dripping with God's grace. Proverbs is the tangible evidence of God the Father treating you like a daughter, treating you like a son. I want to challenge you this spring, starting tomorrow so no one's behind. Read a chapter of Proverbs a day. It's simple stuff. Uh, It's quick. It'll take you a minute and a half. Read a chapter every day. If you forget a day, just don't feel like you got to catch up. Read a chapter a day. If you do that, by the time we get to May and we're done with this, you'll have read this book two times as you're hearing it taught. And what you'll see is how deeply relational this book is. You see it even here. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. All this talk about fathers. Teach your sons. Listen to your fathers. Solomon keeps writing about Yahweh, his God, who he knows. Wisdom is relational. And what you're seeing here is God treating his adopted sons and daughters like sons and daughters. It's story time at bedtime. Come on, kids. Come in the living room. Gather round. Dad's going to tell you another story. And it becomes your story. And these stories and the way he thinks and the way he approaches life and the way he turns the lights on that you can live your sticky situations differently in wisdom, in goodness, begins to rub off on you. It's not so much that he lectures you about wisdom, you absorb it by time spent with him. God has adopted his people as his own, and Proverbs is where he teaches them how to live like his son, how to live like his daughter. Friends, wherever you are, I hope you're encouraged You're at a place that wisdom has the coordinates, has the address of. You can simply say tonight, I can't hear your voice. But you say, if I raise my voice, if I cry out, if I say I want you, you'll give me wisdom. Maybe that's all you do tonight. Maybe you're wise. And what you start praying is, Lord, give me wisdom. I want more. James was the kid brother of Jesus. Little brother. I don't know how many brothers down he was from his big brother Jesus, but he wrote the book of James. And he says in the very first couple of verses in his book in the New Testament, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask the Lord who was his big brother that he grew up with in that living room for 30 years before Jesus went out on the road. Let him ask my brother. He gives so generously and without finding fault. Jesus is for you. He'll make you wise. Let's pray. Jesus, that's my prayer. If any of us lack wisdom, that's all of us. That's everybody in the room. To some degree or another, we lack wisdom. We tend to flail around and freak out or avoid hard situations because we just don't know how to live them with you faithfully. But we want to grow. We want to hear you, so help us this week, even tomorrow as we start reading through this a chapter time, help us to incline our ear to you, to pay attention, to talk to roommates even tonight. What would it look like for me to pay attention to the voice of wisdom that's coming through the air tonight? We pray this in your name. Amen.